So in this podcast, we're going to be talking about whether the League of Nations was doomed from the start. That's the key question that you've got to look at in the exam. That's the thread that runs through all of the various other little bits and pieces we've been looking at. I recommend that before you listen to this podcast, you make sure that you've listened to the one on the foundation and structure of the League, the one on the Manchurian crisis, and the one on the Abyssinian crisis, so that you are fully up to date with everything that we're talking about here. And just so that you're aware of the voices that you're listening to, uh, I will be talking about whether the League was wrecked from the very beginning. Um, I'll be arguing that the League failed because of the self-interest of Britain and France. And I will be arguing that the Manchuria and Abyssinian crises brought brought the downturn of the League of Nations. So, uh, just chronologically, I'll kick off then. Uh, From my point of view, uh, the biggest problem with the League is that it's crippled from the very beginning. And it's crippled in a couple of very important ways, I would say. Uh, Firstly, it's crippled in terms of the membership. It doesn't have the reach it should have because it's weak over in the other hemisphere because it doesn't have the USA. That's, That's the first one immediately. So it is too heavily reliant on the powers such as France and Britain and it needs them to actually take action to be able to do anything. Uh, I would also say that it lacks moral authority because it's a victor's club. It's not a, uh, a league of nations, it's a league of the winners of the Great War. So it lacks moral authority, which is an issue when it comes to the sanctions, because the first set of sanctions is, of course, moral condemnation. You're a very naughty boy, don't do it again. And they don't have the ability to say that properly because they lack the authority of acting on behalf of everybody. And then I've also got some bits and pieces on the, um, on the actual structure, but what are your feelings from that point of view from the start there? Well, I think, you know, the, the membership, if you're talking about right from the very start, uh, don't forget as well, it's not just the USA, there's other countries which are um, yeah. prevented from joining the, the League yeah. of Nations as well. So the USSR are not allowed to join in. Big scary communists, we yeah. don't want them. And that is going to link into some of the things I'm going to say about Britain and France. Oh, and of course, right. all of the um, uh, defeated nations are not allowed to be part of the League yeah. as well. So um, it, that's what gives that impression of it being a, a club for victors, if you like. Yeah. Okay. I understand where you're coming from in the... <clears throat> club of victors but those aren't evidenced There's, they aren't brought to the forefront without the two crises, without the evidence of not reacting to the invasions of two countries, mm-hmm. not responding to the, um, the calls for aid as well as military action when they're needed. I suppose my, my response to that would be that the League is able to deal with a few small crises during the 1920s and deals with them relatively well mm-hmm. uh, up Silesia, Corfu, Vilna, things like that but the, the problem with the not acting I think can be pinned on the actual structure of the league that's, that's where the, the slowness of being able to get anything done comes from so the fact that the assembly requires every decision to be unanimous is an immediately going to be a massive hurdle to getting anything done and I also think that the permanent council and then the temporary elected members, uh, them all having a veto also, is again, it simply cripples the ability of them to do anything. And that's before we even get on to uh, the Court of Justice, which has absolutely no powers whatsoever. We'll, we'll call you in, we'll tell you you've been a naughty boy, you've broken international law, and off you go. See you. Enjoy yourselves. So I, I think that the, the membership 
and the structure together mean that that when there's anything that actually tests the league, it lacks the ability to do anything. I would say, though, to, to counter that argument, um, and you alluded to it as well, with smaller countries being able to solve issues between them. So, for example, you've got the Ireland Islands, uh, you've got the Corfu incident. Um, the league is able to deal with these issues. And the membership at that point, the, the structure of the league at that point, none of that is actually a problem. The league deals with these nations and these disputes effectively. Mm-hmm. The issue isn't necessarily the fact it's doomed from the start, because I think it had great potential, but it is the main players in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, Britain and France, on the one hand, and Italy and Japan on the other, who also, just by complete coincidence, happen to be the four permanent members of the council. Mm-hmm. So I think if you, if you take into consideration its early successes, which demonstrated the league did have the ability to solve issues... Mm-hmm. Um, solve disputes I, I don't think you can argue it was doomed from the start and if it, and also I'd also add in the work of the agencies and the various mm. uh, good sort of acts that it commits around the, the world commissions yeah, yeah. so the, the league does do a lot of good mm. at the start and there's a lot of goodwill towards it as well I, that's why I, I believe and I really genuinely believe that it is Britain and France mm. and their self interest which is what actually scuppers do, do you do you think then that the the fault with the um, the fault with the the permanent members is that they're still in that same mindset of before the war of mm. these other great powers? Yeah. Do you think it's it's still too much that they they haven't moved on? Yeah. And I, I mean, I would say, I mean, if we if I just use this as an opportunity to to mention some general background points to do with Britain and France. You've already mentioned the fact it's a club for victors. Mm-hmm. So the t- reputation of the league is tarnished from the start with the smaller nations around the world and also, more importantly, with those defeated countries in the USSR. Yeah. Um, then you've got this inbuilt veto and the four members of the, permanent, uh, of the council, the permanent members. And it's no coincidence that France and Britain, with their failures to deal with the other two, yeah. Italy and Japan, you know, this is what causes the league to collapse. And then, um, because Britain and France, and you've said this as well, they are still in this, idea, in this mindset that they are great powers. But they're not. Mm-hmm. Britain and France simply, I mean, the world's looking to Britain and France. You're in charge of the League of Nations, you're the ones who are going to drive this forward. But they're not. They're going to act in their own interests. So, would a counterbalance to that have been if America had been there? Yes. Would America have acted as a counterweight to the self-interest of what have actually become quite petty and inward-looking yeah. powers in Europe? I think America, and if the USSR had been involved, it would have put Britain and France in their place. Mm. And maybe more importantly, it would have put Italy and Japan. Is it, is it fair yeah. to say... Oh. No, I think you're onto some, kind of something there. But I think without, without these crises, without Italy, one of the members itself... Mm. Having uh, invading another country mm-hmm. wouldn't have brought around this downturn. It would, the Manchurian crisis um, it made it evident how weak the league was, mm. and then the Abyssinian it it just killed it mm. when yeah. a country involved in the league took action against itself. Yeah. So would would you say that the the Manchurian crisis is less important than the Abyssinian crisis in terms of the impact? Um, I would do. It's very. It's still important because it gives Italy that 
they, it shows that they're not going to act. The fact they didn't bring in any help, any aid for so long, it took two months to, to, put, to decide to, take, to give uh, oil. Yeah. It just it showed Italy they could. there is a way to get around it. If two months is a long time, if you're invading a country and they roll the forces in, Italy is a much bigger power than uh, Abyssinia was. They had the yeah. more modern equipment, they had the tanks, the weapons. They could do a lot in two, two months. And then the league was shown that they aren't capable or they weren't, they weren't confident enough to deal with it. Yeah. And the Abyssinian killed it. I suppose from my point of view, the only difference I would put in there is that... The difference between the Manchurian crisis and the Abyssinian crisis, for me, is that there was very little they could do in the Manchurian crisis because they don't have the USSR to rely on. They don't have America, which is the biggest trading partner with Japan. So that's where the weakness of the membership side of it comes from. But I do agree with you that with the Abyssinian crisis... It's they simply don't act. There yeah. was nothing there was to nothing stop, done. which I suppose comes more towards yeah France and Britain. Well, because we're just thinking about this. I mean, as always in history, everything is connected. So if you think about the underlying weaknesses of the league that, that you've been arguing for, um, its membership, its lack of real genuine power, and its reputation already being a little bit sort of sticky from the start, um, those problems are exposed, aren't they, by the Manchurian Absolutely, yeah. and by the Abyssinian crisis so yeah. you know the failure of the league I suppose you know, if it was doomed from the start I still don't think it was doomed from the start but I think yeah the, the crisis without a shadow of a doubt they expose yeah, the weaknesses the first one exposes and the yeah. second one's a if it had carried on having to deal with Bulgaria and yeah. Greece and Iraq yeah. and various other smaller nations then the league may well have flourished yeah. Is, is there? A, sorry, I, I was just going to ask. Yeah. One of the things I've always thought is that um, there's, a, there's a problem with the league insofar as it's set up to stop another war like the Great War from happening again, mm. rather than set up to try and stop a war, if that makes sense. So yeah. it's designed very much around the idea of disarmament to make sure that we don't have another arms race, no secret treaties, so you don't get alliances causing all those bits and pieces. But they don't think about a way to actually nip crises in the bud, and that's shown by the sanctions regime. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that's worth thinking about, because that comes into play with both the self-interest, because the the military sanctions are simply not going to happen, because they've never thought of a way to do it. Yeah. So it puts everything riding on the economic sanctions, and the economic sanctions... Yeah, well, this is. I mean, the thing is, you've got the underlying weaknesses, you've got the crises themselves, but what the the thread which runs through it is Britain and France being unwilling to act. And if I'll just go through it, okay, in Manchuria, they're not willing to stand up to Japan for a couple of reasons. The first one's a military reason: Britain isn't willing to risk its fleet, and the French aren't willing to send an army. Mm -hmm. Second one is an economic reason: Britain is unwilling to uh, stand up to Japan because they believe it would jeopardise their trading relationships in Asia Um, and that decision that Britain and France pushed through at the start to exclude Russia from the the league now comes into play because there's no one to actually stop Japan but in any case I would argue that they would prefer a strong Japan because a strong Japan will act as a a barrier to expanding communism. Especially to protect British trade. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then if you then go into Abyssinia um, first of all they're far more concerned about Hitler than they are about Mussolini so they've got the Strazer front together 
Britain, France and Italy trying to stop the Germans from uh, reversing the Treaty of Versailles. And they're so keen to keep that relationship together um, that Mussolini is under the impression, really, that he's got a free hand in Abyssinia, especially well, when he looks at what's happened in Manchuria. Yeah, and to be fair, that's pretty, pretty signalled by yeah, France. They make no secret of the fact yeah. that they're not going to do no. that. No. And then when you add into that these sanctions that you've mentioned as well, Britain refuses to give up its coal yeah. trade. You know, he said, no, we, we're trading coal with, with Italy because the northern economy in Britain especially was heavily reliant on coal. The French carry on trading iron and steel because yeah. their industries are reliant upon that trade of Italy as well. And so the two key players in the league who you would be looking to to impose sanctions are actually just flouting it and saying, no, we want to carry on because we're not willing to damage our own economies. And, and of course, these, the other simple thing they could have done if they were serious about stopping Italy yeah. is they could have just shut the canal. Of course, they could have shut, shut down Suez, yeah. and yeah. they simply didn't. And again, that, that links in, doesn't it, with this? We, we have to keep Mussolini on, on side. side yeah. And I suppose the ultimate expression of their self-interest is that the whole of our pact, isn't it, where they decide very secretly that they're going to give Italy two thirds of Abyssinia, all the best uh, farmland, all of the resources, leaving Abyssinia as a rump state. And it, I mean, it's, it never happens because it's leaked, and they're both forced to resign. But that effectively destroys the credibility of the yeah. league as well. So and I suppose that also tells you a lot about yeah. how Britain and France are viewing the yeah. situation and what they're yeah. willing to do to keep Mussolini sweet. Well, with being honest, Abyssinia and Manchuria are just too far away, aren't they? they yeah. To be yeah, that was one of the main importance. problems. Yeah. Was the, by the time they got there, what, yeah. what could what would have how much would have changed in the time it's taken mm. to get from Britain to... Okay. So, it, 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 I suppose the next thing is to say counterfactual. Can you think, is, was it inevitable that the league was going to fail? Or can you see a way in which the league could have flourished and actually kept the peace through? Because if you can do that, then you can say that it wasn't doomed from the start. You can say that it was overtaken by events or by the actions of its members. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So can we see a way in which the league is able to build on those successes of the twenties, the work of the commissions, and all of the bits and pieces, and pick its way through? Mm. Yeah. I should I go first? Yeah. You That's go right. Okay. My opinion is that it, it wasn't doomed from the start. I think that when it was set up, it was it was a genuine effort, and there was a lot of you know real goodwill towards the league. The powers that it had they weren't perfect but if the people that were in the league the permanent members in particular had have taken it seriously then it could have worked and you saw how it worked with the smaller disputes in the 1920s you saw how it could work with the work of the agencies um, it wasn't until you ended up with the four members the four permanent members essentially taking their own self-interest at heart. So maybe you can't just blame it on Britain and France. Maybe, you know, Italy, Japan, yeah, with their self-interest as well. The, the, the four leading members of the League essentially deserted it, and they looked for other ways to deal with international relations, mm -hmm. other ways to keep the peace, and the League became a defunct body. Yeah, I, I agree, especially with the, um, the idea of the... The smaller nations, they could sort those crises out, but the two crises, the Manchuria crisis, just weakened it so much mm. and just exposed it, as we said earlier, to all the problems. And then to have a country that's involved just cut their head off at the end. It's, I think, if if they had taken it seriously, I, 
yeah. agree quite a lot with what you just said. If they had taken it seriously, if member states had acted and and treated it as the the baby it was and grown into something mm. bigger, mm. and had it didn't start with the, the most. Uh, it didn't start with the best powers. It couldn't do yeah. the most, but it could have grown into something that did. If the inclusion of more states or something, mm. and then, but the two crises just, just exposed it. I say, like I've said again, it just exposed it. And then, without that last crisis, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have had this severe drop it did yeah. until the end. I suppose I think, from my point of view, that I agree um, with, with what both of you said, really. But I think. I think the biggest core weakness is that it's too Eurocentric. Yeah, we have yeah. Day. Yeah, I, I yeah. think it's it's very much a group of uh, these people and Japan, mm. and so because Japan feels slightly excluded in the focus of it, and all what we haven't really mentioned is all those early successes are in Europe. Yeah, yeah. and Japan yeah. feels or, or the Middle East. On, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Japan feels as very much as though it's on its own out there because there's no check on it. Um, and there's no global perspective to the league. There's there's some in the assembly, but let's be absolutely honest here: the assembly is useless. Yeah. Really, the assembly serves very little function and does nothing apart from being a talking shop. So that that focus on Europe means that when the Manchurian crisis appears, which is the other side of the world, and it's Japan and it's a bulwark against the USSR and all the rest of it. And let's be honest, there's an element of racism involved here as well. Who cares what those people do to each other? Mm-hmm. Not an and then, yeah. 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 And then you've got the same again with Abyssinia. It's it's just an yeah. outgrowth of the same colonialism you see in the 19th century. Yeah. It's, it's no different. It's the just, first world yeah. war. Yeah. 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 And, and there's another um, similarity there as well. Because, ultimately, the failure of the league pushed Italy, Japan... Yeah into the arms of Germany yeah, yeah. and then you end up with the Axis powers just like you did in the eve of the first world yeah, war yeah. with the central powers yeah and you're right back where you were with two armed camps facing yeah. each other history repeating itself I'll have to finish the podcast with Shirley Bassey singing that now. <laughs> 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 and I guess that's, that's supposed to be it the, the only advice I suppose we can offer at the end is um, you're most likely to get the most frequent questions we've seen are the 10 mark questions, two bullet points. What was the biggest uh, weakness of the League of yeah. Nations? Or the most important reason for its failure. Or the most important, yeah. And just balance up either side, like we've just done there. Provide your evidence and make sure you answer the actual question that's being asked. Yeah. Done everything? Yeah, job's yeah. good. Thank you very much for listening and good luck in your exams. <laughs>